is our desire that his kingdom would come. And so, we open up the word together today. If you brought a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 9. We spent the summer walking through one psalm each week. And we're going to take a little break and do just a short four-week series called Labor for the Harvest. And so here's why we're doing that. We're not doing that because it's Labor Day tomorrow, and we're not doing that because the harvest is just around the corner. We're doing this series primarily because this is what God calls us to, to be and to pray for laborers for the harvest. So last week, as I mentioned when I prayed, uh, we as a church got together and we'd been talking about this for some time and made the vote that we would take the next step in the process of forming a search committee to add an associate pastor to our church. And, And in order to do that, a number of you had made a commitment, we're going to sacrifice and give more than we're currently giving in order that we can see this come to reality. And so very thankful for that. And I don't know what it was that motivated you all to say, yes, we're going to give more. We believe that this is a good step for our church to take. But as I think about what maybe has motivated us in doing that, it was a passage like the passage that we're going to look at today. When when we take into account what it is that God has called us to do and to be as a church, that's what leads us to make the kinds of commitments that many of us has made. I mentioned that again last week, that, that as we look around in our community and see the huge percentage of the population, not in far off places, but right here in Iowa Falls, the huge percentage of the population of people that are walking without a right relationship with God, walking in darkness, people who are sinners like all the rest of us, but who will be held accountable for their sin and judged for it unless they hear the good news of the gospel and turn and put their faith in Jesus. That we see that and we believe that to be real. And that's what drives us to recognize the need that we have as God calls us as a church to reach out to the lost with the good news of the gospel. And so my, my thinking is that as excited as we might be about the work that God is doing in this growing church body is that as we grow in maturity in Christ, that we would increasingly have hearts that ache for the lost outside of the church. That we would, as we grow in Christ, long more and more every day to see more and more lost people come to faith in Christ. I think, and I, and I trust that that will happen as we grow. And so, that's where this series is coming from. Different than we normally do. Normally, we start at the beginning of a book of the Bible and go through to the end. But we're doing something different now in September and October as well. But this series is going to be just four sermons in September. Two in Matthew and two in 1 Corinthians. We'll still take one passage every week and walk through it. But I want to give you a little bit of context because anytime we open up the Bible, it can be dangerous to just jump into a book and just start reading and, and thinking you can just immediately apply whatever you read to yourself. Right? So we want to look at context. And so just a little bit of context. Why this book? Matthew's context is this. Some of you might already know the background of Matthew. For some of you, this might be new. And just a review for many of us. Matthew's gospel is one of four gospels. 
and the Gospels were accounts written by men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down every one of these words to tell an audience about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And every one of them is a little bit unique because they all have a different audience and they're coming through a different author. And so Matthew was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And he's writing this letter or this gospel primarily, not only, but primarily for people who had a Jewish religious background. And so if you were reading through the gospel of Matthew, you would notice a lot of quotations and allusions to the Old Testament. And so if you don't know the Old Testament very well, there's parts of Matthew that would be a little bit confusing for you. But that's the audience that Matthew is writing to. There's lots of Old Testament references that show that Jesus is Israel's Messiah and the fulfillment of all of God's promises in the Old Testament. Okay? So that's what we'd see in Matthew. Chapters 1 through 7 of the book really just kind of introduce Jesus and this gospel of the kingdom. Okay? Kingdom shows up over and over and over again in Matthew's gospel. Okay? So chapters 1 through 7 really introduce Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom. And then starting in chapter 8, we start to see how it is that the gospel and the kingdom start to expand and go out beyond just Jerusalem or wherever Jesus happens to be at the time. Okay? So we see that. And, and a lot of what happens then in Matthew 8 and 9, a lot of miracles that Jesus does as the gospel starts to expand. And we're kind of at an important passage that's a little bit of a turning point here at the end of Matthew chapter 9 today. So, we're going to be asking the question, how does the kingdom of God expand? How does the gospel advance? How, does, how, does, how do the people that already know and worship Jesus as Savior, how, how, do, how does the word get out so that more people know and worship Jesus as Savior? So, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, sermon's just called, The Harvest is Ready, So Pray for Laborers. So, if you are able to, would you please stand? We're just going to read those four verses from God's Word together. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have not left us without guidance, that certainly you have given us a command that those of us who know and trust and worship Jesus as Savior are commanded to go and to make disciples. But I thank you that, that we don't have to just figure out how to do that on our own, but that your word is very clear about what we ought to do. And so I pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts making your word clear, that we might understand it together today. And even more so, that as we walk out of here, that we would be obedient to your word. That's the hard part, God. It might be easy to understand, but it's hard to obey what you command, to do what you say to do and to have the kind of heart that we are to have. And so we need your spirit to be at work in us, forming our hearts and our minds according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read God's word from Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so we hear God's word. Now we want to understand it and, and, and trust that God's going to be at work in us seeking to apply this truth to our lives. And so very applicable passage. You'll notice in your bulletin there's an outline for you to follow along. You might want to take notes. And here's the first point, what Jesus sees. As I was studying this passage, I just noticed that first of all, we see what Jesus sees. Matthew 9, 35 to 36. We see what Jesus is doing there at the beginning. It's a summary verse, and it's a good summary of Jesus' ministry before his death and resurrection. Remember that Jesus, after being born, uh, lived a number of years in relative obscurity. Not a lot of people knew, but he had just come into starting to do public ministry, and his public ministry looked like this quite often. It says, Jesus went... There wasn't many times where Jesus wasn't going. He didn't land in one spot for a long time, but he was often going from place to place. And it was all kinds of places throughout all the cities and villages. And when he would go to places, one thing that he would often do is teach in their synagogues. And then he would proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. And he would heal diseases, every disease it says, and every affliction. There was nothing that he couldn't do. If he wanted to heal a disease, he could heal a disease. If he wanted to heal an affliction, he could heal an affliction. And so he was going about and he was teaching, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and he was performing miracles like healing. Now, relatively easy to understand, except for maybe, what exactly is he saying when he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom? What does that mean? Those are words we hear in church and when we read the Bible, but what do those words mean? Gospel, you might remember, means good news. Okay, So he's proclaiming, that means he's saying out loud something that's good news. And it's good news of the kingdom. And what's the kingdom? Really hard to summarize this. But the short little summary that I, I found and, and kind of put together after looking at some different things is this, to try and make it simple. The kingdom is the promised saving rule of God. Or saving reign of God. Okay? That's what the kingdom is. This, so, so in some ways it's like already here and in some ways it's not quite here yet. It, it, it comes in the person of Jesus. That God's salvation, God's promised salvation comes through Jesus. And it comes through his death and resurrection. And it's going to come even more fully when Jesus comes back the second time to set up his kingdom. But Jesus came the first time to begin to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, of the promised saving rule of God. That comes in Christ. And then, uh, that is that Jesus, Israel's Messiah's king, comes to bring good news of God's saving rule or God's kingdom. But then I want to look at verse 36, because I want us to see what Jesus is seeing. And this is where it starts to, I think, really hit me as far as some application. What is Jesus seeing? And here's what I noticed right away. I'm looking at verse 36, and it says, when he saw the crowds. Think about the last time that you saw a 
crowds. Uh, Maybe you love crowds, or probably if you're like most people, crowds aren't exactly the thing you long to be a part of, right? Uh, And I don't know where you've seen a crowd this summer. I was just talking uh, to Dennis Struther before the worship service. They were in China. They saw crowds of people there, okay? Large crowds of people in China. They just got back uh, from there. Uh, On vacation this summer, we did a couple of different things. We went to a baseball game, large crowd at the baseball game. Uh, We went to uh, the Wisconsin Dells, large crowds of families all over the place there. And oftentimes, I was thinking about what do we see when we see a crowd? Think about that for a second. What do you see? Some of you kids, you're just going back to school. There's a large crowd. Maybe you didn't see a lot of those people all summer, and all of a sudden, instead of eating lunch like by yourself or with four people in your family, you're eating lunch with 100 kids. There's crowds everywhere, right? And so, so we all of a sudden start to, what do you see when you see crowds? And I was convicted as I thought, you know what I often see? I often see people that are getting in the way of me doing what I want to do. Like when we were at the Wisconsin Dells, there was this water slide. It looked really sweet. We wanted to go on that water slide as a family, but there was a crowd that also wanted to do that. And so the sign at the bottom said, it's a 60-minute wait. One hour you had to wait. It's like, well, here that crowd just got in my way. I didn't see a bunch of individual souls who needed to hear of the lo- I just saw people that were getting in my way. I want to slide. Get off the slide. You know, like, isn't that, and sometimes we see a crowd and we can quickly make some, some judgmental kinds of uh, critical thoughts of the people in the crowd. We, we, we think we got people pegged by just seeing them in a crowd. So either we kind of miss the crowd altogether, just ignore it, try to get through it, see them as people that are getting in our way. Uh, We can make some quick, judgmental, critical thoughts of all the people that are in the crowd. But I love looking at how Jesus sees crowds. Because look at what it says here. When he saw the crowds, see what it says next? He had compassion for them. He had compassion compassion for them. That's not what I often feel. I'm convicted by that as I see Jesus' compassion for the crowds. Oftentimes, you might remember his disciples would try and get the crowds to get out of the way. Hey, Jesus doesn't have time for you, whether it's children or people that were suffering. And Jesus was always rebuking his disciples saying, no, listen, I got time for the crowds. Because it's not just a crowd. There's people in that crowd. And so Jesus has compassion on them. It says, because they were harassed and helpless. That's what Jesus sees. Jesus does not look at a crowd and think, well, there's a bunch of impolite, pushy, needy leeches just looking for a handout. Jesus doesn't see a crowd and think, well, there's a bunch of self-righteous, religious, arrogant, hoity-toity people who are looking for affirmation. No, Jesus sees the crowds and he has compassion on them because in his mind, they're just people that are harassed and helpless. You can put in the word there, bullied. That's what Jesus sees when he sees a crowd. And then he even likens it to this. He says, it's like they're sheep without a shepherd. And sheep without a shepherd are vulnerable to attacks from the outside and to sometimes their own stupidity. And so sheep need a shepherd. And Jesus looks at the crowd 
And instead of just seeing all those other things that we might quickly see in a crowd, Jesus has compassion. These people are harassed and helpless. These people are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees that when he sees a crowd. And so an application for us, as I was thinking about that for myself this week, it was this. What do you think would happen if we asked God to help us see people in the crowd like Jesus saw them? What do you think would happen? If we just asked God, as we were praying, God, would you help me to see people at work, people at school, people in our community, people in our nation, would you help me to see them like you see them? What do you think might happen? Kids that are in school and adults that are teaching in schools, what about that kid that's always acting out in school? You know him? You know her? What if instead of kind of joining in with other, when others kind of laugh at that person, what if you decided instead to have a heart? What if God gave you a heart to see that kid's hurt and had compassion towards him? What about that coworker who's always bitter and unpleasant? Like everybody just kind of tries to keep their distance. Like you'll be nice to them, but you just don't want to spend much time with them. What if you saw them? What if God gave you eyes to see her as one who had been abused, who was harassed and helpless, and who desperately needed somebody to have compassion on her? What if looking at what I, you look at our community and like, oh man, what, what, what does our community need? And you could go to quick, easy, vain things like, we need another restaurant. We just need another good restaurant in our community. Or, or we need, you know, we need, we need whatever it might be. We need an, an, an indoor sports facility. We need, we need all sorts, like, what if we looked at our community? Like, no, you know what we need? We're like a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. What our community needs more than anything else, we just need, we need Jesus to lead us. What if we saw that when we looked at our community? What if we looked at immigrants moving in and rather than, than thinking quick thoughts of like, well, why don't they just learn English a little bit faster? It's our language anyway. They're moving it. Like, what if, what if our thoughts instead were, man, what if I was in their shoes? What, what, if, what if I, how helpless would I feel walking into a situation where I didn't speak much of the language? What would I, what would I feel? And what, what, what if, what if God gave us eyes to see the great opportunity to, that exists, that we can proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the nations without buying an expensive plane ticket, because the nations are coming here? Well, praise God, right? What if, what if God gave us eyes to see the crowds more like Jesus sees the crowds? Warning: If we ask God to do this. We may have to change our attitudes. We may have to change who we spend time with, and we may have to change how we spend money. So just a warning. If you don't want to pray that, don't pray that. But, but maybe, maybe we ought to pray together, God, would you help me to see people in the crowd, at school, at work, in our neighborhood, in our community, in our, would you help me to see people like you see people? And I give you permission, God, to go ahead and change my heart if that needs to be changed. I think we could do that. I would also quickly say this before we look at the last two verses, and that is this. Are you harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd? Is that how you're feeling today? Talk about 
people that know and trust Jesus, you're like, I'm not sure if I'm one of them. I'd love to talk to you. I don't want to miss you by looking at the crowd and seeing many people who do trust Jesus. I don't know where you're at. And so we put my phone number in the book. Like, let's get together. This is my job. I get to point people to Jesus. I get paid for it. And so don't feel like you're bugging me. You want to talk? If you're struggling with something, you want to talk? Let me know. Love to help out. And then let's look at verses 37 and 38. We're going to see some good news and some bad news in these last two verses. Jesus is now talking to his disciples. It probably means you can tell from the context that it's not just the 12 disciples. Because right after this in chapter 10, the very next thing that happens is he calls the 12 disciples to himself. So he's probably talking to a larger group of disciples, just people who are following Jesus. Okay, Probably men and women, probably larger than 12. right? But probably the 12 are there as well. And Jesus says to them this, first the good news. Good news, the harvest is plentiful. Okay, so now he switched the metaphor. Now they're not sheep without a shepherd. Now he's doing crop farming, and he's saying that they're a harvest field, okay? And the field is ready for harvest. Our fields aren't there yet, but it won't be long, and we'll be able to look at the fields, and they will look differently than they look today. The beans will look different, the corn will look different, and the farmers will know it is time for harvest. And Jesus was telling his disciples, look at the crowds, and here's some good news. It's harvest time, and the harvest is plentiful. There are many of those out there in the crowd. There are many people in your school, kids. There are many people at your workplace and in your neighborhood who are ready to hear and receive the good news about Jesus. They're ready. Harvest is plentiful. But then he goes on, and he shares some bad news. And that is this, but the laborers are few. Okay, so all this harvesting that needs to be done, and, and you might know if you're a farmer, you know that there's a, there's a window for harvest, right? That you can't just delay it and do it whenever you feel like it. When it's harvest time, you better get to work. You drop some other things and you make some sacrifices in other areas of your life so that you can be engaged in the harvest. And a harvest of a big crop requires Lots of laborers. And so it's like all hands on deck. I was just talking to Jess Peterson yesterday. He's about getting ready to harvest. And now Terry, who always helps him with that, is going to be having surgery tomorrow. And so he's looking at this dilemma that he has, that here's a harvest that's going to be good this year by God's grace, but I don't have all the laborers I once had. That's a problem, right? And so that's what Jesus is saying. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so you get to this point, and I know we've already read it, so you've read ahead. You know what he's going to say next. But I wonder, what might Jesus say to this? What's he going to tell his disciples to do? So is Jesus' answer going to be, hey, so get signed up for some seminary classes. You've got to go get your Master of Divinity. The harvest is plentiful. Or, or does he say, you know, you need to take one more Sunday school class. Don't talk to people about Jesus yet because you're not quite ready. Take another Sunday school class first, right? Or get your life all totally in line before you go do this. Or, or he doesn't say, you know what, you, you've never even read through the whole Bible. You need to do that first and then 
get out. It's not what Jesus says. What does he say? Harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray. And not just pray, but pray earnestly. Talk about convicting again. Are we doing this? Do we recognize as we see the crowds, oh, the harvest is plentiful. Or we just kind of tunnel vision, going through life, doing our thing, and, and missing out on all the opportunities God has around us every day. Harvest is plentiful. Laborers are few. And are we praying earnestly? I'm not. I'm not praying earnestly enough. So I read this and I'm convicted. As a church, are we praying earnestly? Probably not enough. Could we be praying more earnestly? Yeah. And what are we supposed to be praying for? He gives us prayer requests. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He's the one that's doing the work. He's the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest. But his plan is for us to be the laborers. And we are to pray that God would send out laborers into the harvest. And so some application to close with, and it would be this. Pray for laborers and get ready to be sent. Because you need to look at the larger context. I'll show that in a second. But step number one might just be this. Tonight might have other things. You could just block off time. And if you've got children, bring them with you. That's what we plan to do. If, you, if they're in a stroller, that's great. Um, but it's going to be pretty nice out. 6.30, come. We'll gather here first. If you can't walk, then you can hang out with a group here and pray here. But those of us that can walk, we're going to split up, just take some vehicles, go to different parts around town, and just walk around and pray. And hopefully we're going to pray earnestly. And hopefully as we're walking around, we're going to see We're going to ask God, God, would you help us to see what it is that you see? Because I see this community and I just think of all the work that I'm, I think of all this stuff. But God, would you help us to see things with your eyes? And in that, I think that will lead us to pray earnestly that God would send out laborers into the harvest. But step two would be this. We need to be ready to be sent. Get ready to go because if you would keep reading the chapter markers, remember Matthew, when he wrote this, he didn't put in chapters. Some people did that later. And the chapter division here at the end of 9 and beginning 10 probably doesn't need to be there. Because what happens right after this, if you looked ahead into chapter 10, is you would see Jesus calls them to him, 12 disciples, and then he names them. And then look at verse 5 in chapter 10. These 12 Jesus sent out. Right? So, the, so, so among that group of disciples that Jesus is saying, here's what you need to do. Step one, pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into the harvest. And some of that group that are commanded to pray are going to be the very ones who are going to be sent out into the harvest. So you're not just praying. <laughs> Maybe you are. But, but you're not just praying, God, would you send some other people out? I want to just kind of keep doing what I'm doing. I'm good with what I'm doing. I'm fine living life the way I'm living life. But I know there's lots of lost people. And so could you like raise up some other people to go do that? No, the prayer needs to be, I think, with a willingness to say, God, in what way are you sending me? 
what way are you sending me to my school, to my neighborhood, to my family? In what way are you sending me maybe to the nations? We need to pray with that kind of openness and willingness to God leading us to go. This is our work, like, we, like we've talked about uh, when we talked about this idea of adding an associate pastor. We're not calling somebody like, hey, there's some stuff we don't want to do, so God, would you raise up this one guy so we can just pay him to do some stuff? Like, no, that's not what pastors do. Pastors equip us, right, for the work that God calls us to do. They come and they do job training for laborers to go out into the harvest. So that's what we would pray about. And then as we labor, many of us are at work doing this. We could be doing more. We could be. But as we labor, labor with hope because we need to hear that good news there. This was, this was true at Jesus' time when he's saying this, but I think it's true now that the harvest is plentiful. There's, there's a number of people that I think might be ready to receive the good news. Many people will reject it. That's reality, too. And we'll talk about that next week as we get into chapter 11. But there are many who are ready to receive it. Are you ready to be sent? And are we praying? And so I just ask that. Will you pray? And will you go? Let's pray. Father, uh, we just confess that we're quite comfortable, and it's really easy for us to be comfortable. We don't want our attitudes changed, if we're honest. We don't want how we spend our time to change. We don't want how we spend our money to change. We don't want who we hang out with to change. That's often how we feel, but we trust that by your Spirit, you can stir our hearts up and change our minds and our thoughts and our attitudes. So I pray that you would do that, that you would help us to look at the crowds all around us, and that you would help us to see individual souls of people who desperately need to hear the good news. And then would you help us to be a people who would pray earnestly that you would send out laborers into the harvest. Make this drive us more than it does now. In Jesus' name, amen.